gear. You know, it's interesting. I, I mean, literally got off the plane last night uh, to come here and, and be with y'all. And uh, it's just a joy, joy to be here. And I, with all my heart, I, I really, somebody said, why do you do this thing in Canada? I said, one thing, I just want to encourage Canadians to love Jesus. I mean, that is really my heart. Uh, you know, we have SOS Canada and someone's saying, hey, well, what's the purpose? Well, I, we want to build relationships with churches for our mission in Uganda. But more than that, I want to really, with all my heart, strengthen and encourage the church. And that is just, I eat, drink, breathe that. And, and, uh, and so I'm hoping in some way I come and I parachute in here. I don't know much about y'all. Uh, you're a little better looking than I thought, but... Uh, <clears throat> You know, I like the fact you have a woman drummer. Come on, are you dating this girl or she's just your friend? Huh? You're married. Look at that. Well done. You scored. All right, good. Uh, you know, but I like it's a small church. We can uh, be a true family and, and, and really just enjoy the fellowship that's in Christ. I think sometimes our professionalism can get us to be less communal, and uh, I just think communal is everything. And so uh, I want to, in some small way, encourage your hearts this morning. And not encourage you about me, but encourage you with the purposes and the drives of God. Uh, that would be my heart. And I wish that we could just sit and just chat and get to know each one of your families in here so I can know personally and specifically how I can encourage you. Uh, three things I want to just announce or I want to ask of you. Can I ask three things of you? Can I? Will you give me yes? How many will give me yes without even asking? I like this crowd, totally manipulable. No, just kidding. Uh, one, I want to ask you come to this conference. Once a year, I come out here literally with the desire to try and encourage you guys for Christ. We do it in January specifically and purposefully so that we can kind of kick your heart off for the year. It is so easy to carry baggage uh, I mean, you're just walking through life and you start carrying baggage. And, and every year we're trying to just take that baggage and cut it right off so you can walk more freely, walk more purposefully uh, with Christ as a mission and as a goal that he would really, we say we're going to die to Christ. Well, what does that mean? And how can I do that afresh? A lot of dying and living for Christ is kicking off the old rubbish that we carry on through life. And so that's what the goal of this is. And so how many have already signed up? Okay, we got two. Awesome. Well, he keeps saying, if you go to, I'm look, if there's no option, you're going. So how many are going to sign up this afternoon? Let me see the godly. Here we go. If I stink at preaching, I want you to come. Okay, I'm asking you to come. And you won't regret it. You'll be like, oh my goodness, that was such a refreshment. And that's what the goal would be, to refresh you in Christ. Even as a small church, we need to get you missional. And I'm going to uncork, and to this morning is just a warm-up to, to that day. I'm going to uncork, and we're going to go after it with a few of my friends to try and just rally us for kingdom. And so please come and be a part. You say, well, it costs money. Well, look, life costs money. The only reason it costs money is because we have to rent a church. So someone go and buy us a church, and we don't have to rent it, then that's free, all right? Uh, that's kind of dumb reasoning. But uh, anyhow, we want you to be there uh, and here.
uh, just because you're one of the better looking guys here, I'm going to give you that right there so that you can come. There's other flyers there. Please come. Please come. Secondly, uh, we run a ministry in Uganda. One thing that we've kind of set aside for Canada is to help us with our child sponsorship. I, 13 years ago, moved my family to Africa. Probably the dumbest thing I would ever do in my life. I'm thinking, what in the world was I thinking? But in God's goodness and kindness, he's blessed every step of the way. And uh, today we, we moved in the middle of a village in the middle of nowhere, and literally in the middle of nowhere, and we just said, let's help win this village for Christ. And uh, we started in my home, and then uh, the, you know, we started busting out the doors. We built a church. Today we have 400 people from our village coming to church every week in, at, in our little village. Completely have seen a drunkard, crazy, sinful backward community completely transformed, where you had no family unit. Now your family unit's developing. People are loving Christ. They're getting off alcohol, giving away their, getting away from their old lifestyle. It's just been radical to be a part of. And uh, we have a primary school there. Our kids didn't have the opportunity to get good education, so we've put up a school. Uh, if I was here on time, I could show videos, but I'm going to make you come to the conference to see all the different videos. But uh, with that, we give an opportunity for everybody to sponsor a kid. And, uh, and so this is a kid that actually needs sponsorship. And again, the, all the money, when someone gives to this, it goes right into this legacy fund, which is the Legacy Christian Academy. And then that money gets drawn. We get, when we need money, we come there to, for the school. And uh, I want to encourage you to sponsor a kid. And uh, we're, we're playing some catch-up because of different things, and we, wanna, we want these kids sponsored. We're going to get, we have 350 kids up right now through fifth grade in February. Every year, we start the new year in February. We're going to add 50 more kids. So we'll have 400 kids up through sixth grade. And, uh, and this is an opportunity to really help kids practically in a small village I mean, everything goes directly to this school, making sure they get lunch and everything that they need. None of it's used for anything else. So 100% goes directly to no administration fees or any of that stuff. So I want to ask you to consider sponsoring. Uh, back there, there are cards. If you pick a card, you can put your information or you can go online. Uh, uh, Eugene will help you right there as to, to doing that. So that's the second request. Third request, I want John to come to Uganda this year. What do you think? Huh? He's, he's signing you up. All right, your wife says, what is he? You send him home, you know. No, I like him to come just because I want them to understand. The challenge is, is this. In a ministry in Africa, you can't understand what I'm doing until you come. You can't understand how we want to make an impact for kingdom purposes. And you'll just think I'm another guy asking for money. Man, it is not that at all. For us, it's, it's literally, as I ask, I'm thinking of these kids. As I ask, I'm thinking of what we need to do for kingdom purposes. What we're doing is bigger than myself, and, uh, and God has blessed us all, all along the way. And so I want him to come so that your body can feel what I feel and can help take some of the ownership of what we're trying to accomplish in Uganda upon themselves. And so that's, my, that's truly my heart as, as it relates to our ministry there in Uganda. So this year, Johnny, we want you there. Can I call you Johnny? 
Your beard is looking. Your, yeah, your beard is looking really good, by the way. Like I came here and I pick up the microphone, and the microphone's like, and I'm like, what did he do? And then it says to fit his beard into it. So I, I get it. All right. Well, my desire this morning, in light of you being a new church, is to talk to you about the church. I had the privilege of going to the Master's Seminary. Anybody know John MacArthur? John MacArthur fans? All right, awesome. I went to the Master's College in, for university. Then I went for seminary for my Master's degree. And then I did a doctorate there. And all of those years, I was bombarded with the reality of how great the church is. But despite the indoctrination the concept of the high value or the high emphasis of the church was always a little mysterious for me. The truth never fully was, was placed in my heart to the point where it inflamed my passions. Until probably about 10 years ago, <clears throat> I began to fully understand and see the church as the greatest institution or organization in the world. Part of it, as a missionary, I always say that missions will either strengthen the church or build the church. If it isn't doing one or the other, it's not missions. All of missions is focused on the local church. The church is, in, is God's most prized and precious possession. It is the apple of God's eye. When God looks down from heaven, he is focused on one thing, and that is his church. I really believe that this needs to be embedded in every single one of our hearts. We need to be so in love with the church that we bleed church. I think it needs to be an evangelical essential. There are certain rocks in our heart that need to be there. And as a high view, a passionate love for the church is one of those. It's for this reason that I want to come in the midst of your infancy as a body and want to set your passions aflamed with a love for his church. I think to myself, why is it that I didn't even though being indoctrinated, I didn't get that passion for the church like I needed. And I think the answer is because I saw the church from the perspective of the pew instead of from the perspective of God's presence. I didn't see the church from God's eyes. So therefore, this morning, what I want to try and attempt to do is help you see the church from the perspective of God. I really believe that right now in the history, in, in this history, the church is at an all-time low. And I say that because of the fact that it's very clear that people hardly, they don't cherish the church or care for the church. They're not surrendered to the church. There was a day very shortly ago where we went to church at least three times a week. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday, am I right? Anybody remember those days? Today we go for two hours and they're saying, can we hurry up this thing? To get people to be committed to the church week in and week out, that's like pulling teeth. 
Today, the church is neglected. Today, people aren't visiting one another. Sheep are, in many ways, being poorly fed or they're malnutrition because we can't even get together to meet. Buildings are often being sold for commercial purposes because you can't even fill a church building. Today, the church is not prized. It's not precious. It's not priceless like it should be. And not only that, but today, pastors, in many ways, aren't taking their job seriously. And not only they're seen as being kind of like half-baked. I mean, he's just the, the, the preacher. But their job isn't seen for what it really is, the greatest and most important job in the world. After all, he is informing the minds of the world. In many ways, we can see that the church is not prized because of the fact that many of its members don't even know what their responsibility is as a member. They feel great taking on membership, but never even have any desire to fulfill their role as a member. Pastors take on their pastoral titles, but don't fulfill their own responsibilities. Elders are not surrendered to the church. They don't eat, drink, breathe, church, church, church. They fulfill their committee role, but even that is done once a month instead of once a week or every day thinking, how can I strengthen, how can I love this beloved congregation that God has entrusted into our hands. So I want to, by the grace of God, etch deep within your hearts, carve deep in your hearts the word church so that it stays there permanently and is esteemed the way God would want us to esteem it. Your friends, I want to declare to you this morning that the church, this body of believers, this congregation meeting here this morning is the most important thing in your life because it is the most important thing to God himself. And I want to give you four reasons or four facts as to why the church is the most important institution in the world. Four facts as to why the church is the most important institution in the world. But before I do that, I want to pray. Let's pray. Father, in such few moments, I get this great responsibility to come and encourage your saints. Come and encourage your church. And living God, I want to ask that you would aid me to that end. Father, I want to ask that you would, would just by your spirit inflame their hearts this morning. Father, help the words to not just be simple words, but to be penetrating words that go deep into their inward beings that they can give to your church what it deserves, and that is their whole life. 
Oh, living God, I pray that the elders here would hear the message first and foremost, and that from these elders that we ourselves would be burdened because we know the hope of your great name is your church. The hope of the gospel is your church. And so living God, aid us this morning. For the praise, glory, and honor of your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let me warm you guys up a tiny bit because I'm from Africa and in Africa like we talk when we, you know, you know. so I'll say like, how are you? And you say, Good. Yeah, that's kind of like an interactive thing. It's cool, you know. Uh, we'll say like, uh, I love Jesus. Do you love Jesus? Yes. And that, yeah, that interactive, just sort of also like, for God so loved the, uh, and then he gave his only begotten. Oh, you guys are getting it. You guys are smart. This Canadian stuff is good, you know. I don't know. I, they said that the snow kind of like causes, no, I'm just kidding, but uh, it is, it's funny. I'll come here, you know, at this time of year. This time of year, it's the hottest in Africa at least in Uganda, January, February, March is like hot. And you come here and you're like, oh my goodness. So it's a total contrast. Fact number one, I want to tell you as to why the church is the most important organization in the world is this. is because the church is purchased and built by God himself. The church is purchased and built by God himself. Open your Bibles, if you will, to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16. Some of you guys use the, your phones and stuff like that. Let me encourage you, use those Bibles. The paper is good. It's from God. He gave it. For, yeah. Okay, cool. Cool. If anybody doesn't have a Bible, just raise your hand they'll get it. Matthew 16. Listen to what Jesus says, and, and, and I, I wish we had time to really unpack how big this statement was here. This statement was huge that Jesus makes here in Matthew chapter 16. Look what he says in verse 18. He says, I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build what? I will build. I, I myself, Jesus, will build my church. Listen, the disciples had no understanding of what he meant right here. But here Jesus is making a declaration. I am going to build something new. I'm going to build something new than what Israel is. I'm going to build a new people. I'm going to take a people from every tribe, language, and throughout the world, and I'm going to pull them into little assemblies across the world, and it's going to be called my church. He is speaking about a group that he is going to build out of the Gentiles, at this time, there were no one saved who were Gentiles, only the Jews. But I'm going to get a new people, and that new people was talked about all the way in Deuteronomy. And I'm going to refrain from going there and telling you all about it, but let me tell you, here is making a declaration. I have come, and I am going to build something new, very new, called my church, my 
My say with a little, you know, my church. Let me tell you, even as this is laid into this gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, there's the total rejection of Christ. And so Christ turns in chapter 13 from the nation of Israel to a small group of disciples in whom he is going to throw out into the world to actually build his church. And he's coming right here to Peter and saying, Peter, you're the one. It's on you, on your profession, on what's being said right here. I'm going to do something completely new, and that is build my church. God is passionate for his church. He's very passionate for his church. He, right here, is excited about this new reality he's going to build. And he says, the gates of hell will not what? No way in the world I'm building something way serious the church. Dear friends, the church is not just any organization. The church is something that God himself is building. You know, we like, we like going to different monuments that have been built. The Egyptian monuments or, you know, London towers or churches. Let me tell you, God is not building a building And we can get excited about what man builds, but let me tell you something. God himself is building, but it's only one thing he's building, and that's his church. We think Microsoft and Apple are awesome organizations. Well, listen, the church is built by God. But according to the Bible, God actually is so intimately involved with the church that he is laying every single brick Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 18 says this. I'll race you there. Come on. I beat you. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 18 says, But now God has placed the member, members, each one of them in the body, just as he has desired. God himself takes every brick of that church, every individual, and puts it where? In the body. That's God's doing. Chapter 12, verse 24, says it this way. It says, whereas our more presentable members need have no need of it, but God has so composed the body giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked. God has composed the body. It is God building, God orchestrating, God composing as a master builder his own body. It is God who takes every single one of us out of darkness and brings, him into, brings us into his marvelous light. It is God who causes every single one of us to be born again. Let me show you one awesome passage, even in Deuteronomy. Look with me in Deuteronomy. I'm going there anyways. I couldn't resist. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 21. Deuteronomy 32, verse 21. Here he's speaking to the nation of Israel and speaking of their future. And he says this. 
They have made me jealous. Here's God speaking of the nation of Israel. They have made me jealous. Israel's made me jealous with what is not God because they were worshiping these other gods. They have provoked me to anger with their idols. So I will make them jealous with those who are what? Not a people. I will provoke them to angry anger with a foolish nation. When you look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, which I won't go there. I'll restrain at least momentarily. You realize this is a quote, and he says that we, the church, are those people. We're that nation that he's made that wasn't a nation. Out of all these nations, I'm going to make one nation, and that is this church. Let me tell you, this was his plan from the beginning. It's God who was making us. And each one of us is utmost care to him. Church is the most important organization in the world because it was built and is being built by God himself. You can't see the organization in any other way. Yes, we are dysfunctional. Yes, there are challenges. Yes, we can be a whiny group of people much like Israel. But never forget, right here are God's people. Built, saved, by God, for God. And to them and to this institution, it's God's masterpiece. And if we're going to understand and see the church properly, we must understand and see it from the perspective of God being the maker. Amen? Amen? Second fact I want to declare about the church, and that is this. The church is the most important organization in the world because it is an institution which Christ loves and purchased with his own blood. Christ loves it, and, he, by, and he's purchased it with his own blood. And this isn't anything new, but putting all of these truths together needs to change us. You know Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, God speaks to husbands. So husbands, turn there with me just because it's good to remind you as well. Hebrews, Hebrews, Hebrews Ephesians. I'm on a different time zone, so forgive me. We're going to bed right now. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. The first word in that verse is what? Husbands, thank you very much. We want to just remind you where this is. Your wives asked me beforehand if I'd quote this for you, so I thought I would. All right, they didn't do that. Husbands, love your? Love your? Wait, should I preach? Should we stop right there? Or? Okay, that's not the focus. I love your wives as, just as, what? Christ what? Christ loved the? Loved the What? Love the what? You guys are a little slow. Come on. Love the church. He loves the church. And what did he do for it? And gave himself up for her. God didn't just theoretically, oh, I love you, but did nothing. He loved the church to the point where he what? Gave himself 
up for the church. He loves us practically. The church is unique. It's special. The supreme organization because it is treasured by God. It is the institution to which he gave his whole entire life for. What institution in the world can we say is like that? No institution. We know from Acts 20, 28 that it says this. Acts 20, 28, you know this passage. And I want to remind you, elders, turn here with me. Acts 20, 28, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock. This is a message to the church elders. And I would say a message to you, three church elders. I already know who you are because I want to look at you in the eyes. Uh-huh. This is a message to be on guard for yourselves and for all your what? Come on, elders, for all your what? Flock, your wife is distracting you. I'm just kidding. <laughs> and for all your flock right here, this church, among whom the Holy Spirit has made you what? Overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Listen, this is what he's saying. He's saying, I'm going to leave this most prized institution. I'm going to leave it. I'm going to put it right in your Hands, but don't forget, this institution was purchased by the very blood of God. He's trying to tell you, listen, don't think this is small. You better be on guard because God loves this church so much that he himself died for it. Oh, dear friends, if that doesn't wake you up, if that doesn't make you feel the ownership and the heavy weight of responsibility entrusted to you, I don't know what does. And if it doesn't wake you up, then you better step down as an elder. But that's not just the responsibility of the elders, it's the responsibility of every one of you because your job is to strengthen what? Each other. Oh, dear friends. And I would say more than ever, The church needs to wake up because there are sheep right here that are being so convoluted with the world all around them. And if we aren't there for each other, we are not going to be what we're not going to be the church for each other. If we're not the church for each other, people are going to get lost in sin and we're going to be nothing. Oh, dear friends. We must awaken ourselves. We must get serious about things other than just work, other than just sports. The church needs to come up the priority level. Am I right? Jesus Christ loves his church. That's why he, when he says, hey, I'm leaving this in terms of preachers and teachers, and listen, you're going to be held to a higher expectation, a higher judgment for how you care for my what? Church. That's why Mark 9, 42 says, whoever causes one of these little ones to stumble, it is better for him if he had a heavy millstone wrapped around his neck and cast in the sea. You better not mess with my own. I like that. A guy talks to my wife, hey, you better watch it, buddy. You don't talk to my wife. You want to mess with my kids? You got to deal with me? That's kind of his perspective here. Don't mess with my own. You better care for him. Elders hear it. James 3.1 says, 
why we shouldn't be teachers, because you will be held to a higher standard. You know, for us, just to give a human illustration, let's say the prime minister, you guys prime minister here? <laughs> yeah, you aren't claiming him like we're not claiming ours, you know, I get it. I mean, no matter what we think of Trump, if Trump were to ask us to watch his kids, you think we'd take that job seriously? I think we would. Wouldn't we? If Trump were to even ask us to, you know, provide care over his estate or over, his, over the White House, we would take that job seriously. Why? Because it was given to us by someone in such high authority. And we know how valuable that institution or that organization is to him, and therefore we would, we would surrender everything to ensure that it's done with excellence. If we're going to allow our theology to go from the top shelf to the bottom shelf, then we better realize that God has entrusted this man here and this man here and that man there with an institution called the church. It's God's entrusted to us. We are to provide care for it. Thirteen years ago, I did this crazy, I started this crazy mission in Uganda, and I wish I could just sit and tell you all about it. First eight years was one, two, three, four trials all at the same time going on for the first eight years. It's taken lifeblood taking sacrifice for my own family. Man, it's been hard. Oh, it's been so good, but so hard. When you're looking at your kids, and they have to suffer along with you, and your wife has to suffer along with you, having a house filled with so many different people just out of necessity, it's hard. And then people attacking you, and trials, and it's hard. So you, I, we spent year after year, and now God has brought such unbelievable fruit and has allowed us to now reap, just start picking all over. Our problem right now is we have so much fruit on the trees, we, we need more people to help us with the mission, both financially and, and practically. It's awesome. Some people say, Shannon, how much longer do you have? Well, look, I have, how many more years of life do I have? If I have 45 Let's go for it. We're going to do everything we can. Right now, I'm away from my family. I had to leave them there. I hate that. There's nothing I love more than my family. I just adore I love being with them. You know, right in the middle of Christmas, we, we had this missionary, potential missionary family come out. I didn't want them during that time to come out. Because it's, but the mission calls. The ministry calls. And it costs us our life. It costs us everything. Why? Because we're building and strengthening his church. And so therefore, we have to be about it. But you can imagine, after the years and the trials and the tribulations and the frustrations and the sleeplessness and the, and the, the burdens carrying all these years, and I come to the end of my ministry, and now I'm going to give my ministry over to somebody. You can imagine him taking that ministry, and listen, we all know it takes a life to build an organization and it takes a day to, let it, to, to make it dissipate, right? 
You can imagine handing it into the hands of somebody. And within one, two, three years, completely destroyed the whole infrastructure of what you build and establish with corruption and different things. I think you can imagine that. And what would you think of such a loser? What would, you, what, would you not sit inside and go, oh, I am so sorry. Oh, Shannon gave his life for this to be destroyed the second he leaves. Would that not make us want to cry? Well, listen, Jesus Christ gave his life for the church to the point of shedding his own blood. And he's handed in our hands that we might carry it on. Organization that Christ has died for demands that we what? Die for it. You see, if I surrendered my life for SOS, the expectation is those in whom I entrust SOS to will also do what? Surrender their life. Same it is for God's church. And I would just even say to the, the pastor's wives here, your husbands need to be freed. You are a helper that you might help him, free him up to be dedicated and surrendered to the building and establishing of this church. This church, three years, what do we look like the next three years? We should be out of this door someplace else because people are knowing Christ around us because we exist. Amen? And we got to get serious about it. Fascinating passage in Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 says this in verse 22. It says, And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. What he's speaking about here is the supremacy of God. And what he's saying here is that the church has been given an unbelievable gift. The church has been given the gift of Christ. The supreme king of kings and lord and lords. God gave his own son for this organization. So therefore it is so unbelievable that he would, I mean, it shows how valuable it is. Let me teach you a principle of economics that you already know. You guys know this principle, and that is this. The value of an object is determined by the price one is willing to pay for it. Am I right? Let me give you an example. In Uganda, we do dowries. Let's say, let me see if there's no young people. Are you guys married? That's not any fun if you're married. That's when you like get two single people, they don't know each other, and you kind of like put them together for a few minutes. But, it's, but we're not seeing that around here. Are you married? Okay. Okay. Well, let's just say, homie here, Mr. What's your name? Josh. Becca. Becca's high value. She's a drummer. Let's say Josh goes and he wants to get married. So what happens is he goes to and says, "Okay, I want to marry you." So she, he comes over to me, being the dad. You want to marry my daughter? <laughs> yeah. Okay. 
And you say, well, how much is she? How much? And I say, you know what? You can have her cheap price. Got a deal today? I'll give you her for $5. Now, if I'm being told $5 for the price of my wife, I don't know about you. I'm thinking of like twice, at least. Five bucks? Why? <laughs> What's wrong with her? Something's wrong with her, right? Five bucks? But if I say, you know what? She is worth 10 billion dollars one you're depressed but two it also shows something what how valuable she is right and if you then pay that 10 billion dollars it shows how much she is worth to what to you does that make sense if christ gave his own life his own blood for the church. How valuable is it? It is the most valuable of assets. You can't put a price on it. In the mind of God, the church is priceless because God paid the highest price he could pay for his church. Romans 8, 31-32 says that he did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? If I've already given you the highest price to be paid, can I give you the little things that you need? That's his point. If we're going to see the church from God's perspective, we need to understand something. That is that the church is so valuable to God that he'd give his own life for it. Third fact I want to reveal to you is this. The church is the most important organization in the world because it is intimately connected or united to Jesus Christ. It is intimately connected or united to Jesus Christ. Listen to these words. There's two main passages I would want to use to bring this out. One is this. <coughs> in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, there's the first image. And that is this, that the church is called God's household. 1 Timothy chapter 3, it says this. 3.15. But in case I am delayed, I write so that you may know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God. That is, the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. Here, the word that's used for the church is the household of God. You say, why did he use this word household? Why? Because that is the most intimate word in the face of the earth. Am I right? What is more intimate than the word household? Nothing. He takes the most intimate sounding, intimate organization, the home, and says, listen, the church is that. You understand, to Jews, home was so important. And that's the image that is referred to here. Again, in Ephesians 2.19, it says that we are fellow citizens with the saints, and we are God's household. 
Listen, to be part of this church is to belong as a member of God's own family. The imagery is so close that he wants you to know that you are as intimate as you can be to me. I'm your dad. You are my children. We are family. Oh, my kids in Uganda, they've come to learn the importance of dad and mom, family, because many of them have not had that. The Bible's always calling us that we are brothers and sisters, that he is our father. The church is filled with the children who belong to God. That's why it's so important how we care for one another. Oh, guys, and I would just say you guys are still establishing your DNA as a church body. Let me give you an encouragement. Be a community. When you come to my church, we will spend literally 15 minutes greeting one another. I was thinking, should I teach these guys how to greet? Because this was cool. I liked everybody said hello, but it wasn't intimate enough. Stop the music. Stop everything. Get out of the rows. And this is how I used to teach my people. Can I show you? What I would do is I'd say, hey, it's time to greet each other. So, hey, what I want you to do. Come here, buddy. Yeah, good. Come on. Here we go. (laughs) And I just pull them right in the aisle. And so we all start hugging each other. So when you come to my church, you will get a hug probably from every member in that church. Why? Because that's what we do as a community, because we are family. And if we don't know each other, we don't care for each other, then we're not acting as brothers and sisters. I think it is a high value that we need, a very high value. Today we become the professional show. That's not what the church is. We can get a show anywhere. We can pay for a better show than what the church could ever provide, can't we? But let me tell you what will cause people to come in that door and stick, and that is a hello and a hug that really meant, I love you. We are also called, there's three images, I'm sorry, we are also called God's body, Christ's body. 1 Corinthians 12, 27, he makes it very clear and says, now you are Christ's body and individual members of it. Ephesians 5.30 says we are members of his body. And this metaphor is emphasizing the intimate unity that each member has to one another. So much so, and, and to Jesus Christ. You are not just anything. You are part of Christ, part of his body. He's the head. You are the hands. You're so closely connected. You're part of each other. There's no separation. It's not like it was in the Old Testament where you can't get to God. Here, you are with God. He is in you. You are in him. There's this unbelievable unity. We are part of Christ. Oh, and if you under, to understand this is, is so powerful. Turn with me in your Bibles. I want to show you something. I want to show you to the degree that this is true. Exodus chapter 9. Did I say Exodus? Goodness gracious. Acts chapter 9. Come on, you guys. Read my mind. Jet lag is a funny thing. 
Acts chapter 9. Like, I don't even know where Exodus came from. It wasn't in my notes. It wasn't anywhere. <laughs> okay, that's, that was a promotion. He wanted to give me a promotion on it. No. Acts chapter 9. Listen to what he says. This is to, Paul, to, Paul, to Saul at this time who was persecuting the church. According to verse 1, it says that he was breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. It says this, verse 4, and he fell to the ground. God, all of a sudden, verse 3, appears in a light, and he falls to the ground, and he says to them, Saul, Saul, why are you, what? Persecuting what? Wait, how? I wasn't persecuting you. What do you mean? And he said, why are you, who, who are you? I am Jesus, whom you are what? Persecuting. Let me tell you, I really believe with all my heart, every time Paul gives his testimony, he declares these words that I persecuted the church. I think the reality of his persecution of the church is what he went to death with. I think it's what drove him. Because he realized that he himself was a persecutor of what? Of Christ. Of Christ. Because see, we are so closely connected to Christ that when you persecute the church, you persecute Christ. When you love the church, you love Christ. Oh, we can go, oh, I love you, Lord, I love you, Lord. But what are we doing? For the church, because to love Christ is to love his church. Do you see the connection? It's so intimate that it is one and the same. You cannot take one without the other. When you neglect the church, you neglect Christ. When you divide the church, you divide Christ. When you persecute the church, you persecute Christ. You better be careful. And how you treat one another. You better be careful that you don't divide what God has brought together. When you gossip against the church, you gossip against Christ. Oh, dear friends. Why are you persecuting what? Me. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 25, verse 40, that the king will answer and say to them, Truly, I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of the least of these brethren of mine, even the least of them, you've done it what? Unto me. Oh, listen. We are, in the mind of God, all little Jesus Christs here. And how you treat one another is how you treat Christ himself. Don't take that too far. We're not Mormons. But I would just say to you, understand that we are so intimately connected to God that it's inseparable. Why? Because God is what? In us. John 21, Peter, do you love me? If you love me, then what are you to do? Feed my sheep. Because to love Christ is to feed his people. See, 
we're to see the church from the right perspective, from God's perspective, we're going to see the church as part of Christ. Last fact I want to give you, and I'll give it to you quickly because of time. The church is the most important organization in the world because it is continuously nourished and cherished by God himself. God has not left the church to move on its own. He's left the church in the hands of others, and he is nourishing it. He is cherishing it. He is continuously giving, cutting it, trimming it, right? We know that John 10.3 says that God intimately knows and leads his church. Ephesians 5.29 says that we are, let me read it for you, Ephesians 5.29 says this. That we, husbands, start in verse 28 just because it's a good message to your husbands. Husbands ought to love their own, thank you very much, own wives as their own bodies. By the way, let me just say this to you men. In our conference, we're going to talk a little bit about home and what that's to look like. But the most cherished prized possession in your life, other, besides just the church, is that woman called your wife. Five-star women get five-star treatment. So some of you guys who don't do a date night, you guys are losers. Because to take her away and to treat her like a queen is godly. Because according to this, you're to treat them as your own what? Bodies. For he who loves his own wife loves himself. No one has ever hated his own flesh but nourishes it. He nourishes his flesh. He cherishes it just as Christ does the church. What is God doing right now for his church? He's nourishing it. He's cherishing it. He's caring for it. Listen, I... I, God from heaven is concerned with one thing, and it's not the score of the Cowboy game. Not even the score of the Dodger game. That one, he probably cares a little bit more about the Cowboy than the Cowboy game. He didn't care about any of those things. What he cares about is his church. And he cares about any man who wants to spend his life dying for it. We're going to understand the church from God's perspective. And we need to know that God loves and cherishes his church. What can be said about any other organization? Nothing. When God, the creator of the universe, would put so much time, so much attention into his body. What does that mean about the church? Doesn't it mean that it's the greatest institution in the world? It's fascinating. It's fascinating because we would all agree the church is low on the priority list, is it not? I mean, let's be honest. I want you to look in your own heart. Some of us aren't thinking about everybody here and how we can spur them spiritually. I know the Canadian culture enough of this that you guys do not get involved in the lives of each other on spiritual matters. 
You may make hints, third-hand kind of suggestions, but you don't get in each other's kitchen. Why? Because you don't love each other enough to get in each other's kitchen. You say, Shannon, you can't say that. I can say whatever I want because I lead. <laughs> but the bottom line is that's the truth. If you're my church, I'm not telling you please come to a conference. I'm saying we're going to a conference. But we are talking so, so weak in our communication that we push nobody. We, push, we don't push anyone anywhere. Oh, listen. If a, if a weed is stuck, what do you do? Okay, let's leave it. No, you get the hoe out. And you dig deeper. Some of us, we are so stuck in our sin. Someone get the hoe out. Cowardly men are not leaders. Cowardly men don't lead the church. Why? Because they won't lead it anywhere. We've got to get busy. We've got to get direct. We've got to get open. You say they'll get offended? Yes. Those whom he has not called will get offended and run away. And those whom he has called will love you for it. Because blessed are the wounds of the friend than the kisses of an enemy. Dear friends, if this is the church, then it must cause all of us to surrender our lives for the church. It must cause all of us to fulfill our responsibilities to one another. The church is what we have just said it is. Then we must lay our lives down for his church. And that's what I would call you to this morning. This little body right here is the most important organization around it needs your attention. It needs your sacrifice. It needs your devotion. And let me tell you, I believe the reason I'm in Africa is one thing, the church. All my friends, church history in Africa, who knows it? Anybody read about it in the history books? No, why? It's not been written yet. But we're going to write it. We're going to write it big time. It's going to start right there in Kubamitwe. And it's going to spread. Why? Because we're going to rally all of God's people for that church. Let's pray.